Well, would you turn in your Bibles to the second chapter of Jonah, the book of Jonah, which is a small book. It's on page 658 in the, the Bibles in the seats, but it's otherwise pretty small, just a couple pages. We're working through the book of Jonah over four weeks, so last week we did the first chapter, and today we're in the second chapter. And I, I want to encourage you, it's a pretty concise story. It's fun to read, and it has, um, it's, in it is disguised many big thoughts and questions. It's, it's a far bigger book than the pages it's written on. And uh, so I want to encourage you to consider reading it through, throughout our time together, because <clears throat> it could be done at a breakfast table or uh, b- before you fall asleep. This one you could finish before you fall asleep in bed. Um, so that's my encouragement to you. I wanted to start this morning spending a little bit of time on the fish, the miracle of the fish. It gets a lot of visibility. I thought maybe I'd just point at it a little bit this morning. And um, for me, the miracle of the fish is not, has never been very hard to digest. I think probably I, I grew up with the flannel, flannel grabs of Jonah and the coloring Jonah. And so I, the stories are pretty well ingrained in me, and my faith kind of grew alongside of it. So, um, But I understand, and I do I appreciate that some people like, come to a story like this, and they're kind of hit in the face with this kind of electric miracle. Of, of impossibility, so to speak. If you, go, if you go online, which I don't recommend necessarily, but if you Google, has anyone ever lived in the belly of a fish? You, know, you get mixed reports, right? So these sorts of things, they're like the subject of legend of the seafaring world in the sense of there's enough of them that make you curious, but... I found that to be a pretty unfruitful path of trying to deal with this account, like the internet. Um, You find people on, uh, quote-unquote, our side who can be a little embarrassing on the internet. You know, so they're... Then you're like, oh, that's a bummer. You know how it is, your side, the people on your side who raise their hand to speak online are never the ones you would ask. Uh, And then you get on the other side, and there's people who are dead set against uh, this ever happening. And the truth is, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. I mean, of course it should sound unreasonable. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about it. It's a miracle. And we should have that in our mind. But I do want to say this. Within the realm of Bible-believing Christians, okay, so those of us, and this church uh, fits in this category, who take this book, uh, very seriously and think that this is truth. God's given his truth here. In that circle, there are two communi- There's two ways of looking at Jonah. Some would look at it as a historical book, and I, I, I think I fall in that category. I'm at peace with it being a historical book. Some would look at it as a parable. And they're not questioning the truthfulness of it. They're, really, the question is about the, what is the truth claim of Jonah? Is Jonah claiming to be a historical book or is Jonah claiming to be a parable? And, uh, you know, there's some of the reasons that they might think it was a parable are subtle and uh, 
maybe not apparent uh, at first sight. I'll give you one example. The very vibrant, colorful way uh, that the story of Jonah is told. Everything is sort of exaggerated to the extreme. You know, Jonah doesn't go uh, five miles away. He goes 2,000 miles away. Um, The fish is a pretty colorful, exaggerated experience. Jonah has a colorful, I don't mean that one could consider exaggerated personality. You know, he, he swoons and he wails and later on in the story. And the plant grows up and the whole city of Nineveh converts. These kind of graphic tidal motions might incline someone to say that it's parabolic in nature. The truth at the end of the day is the fish is a very small part of the story. The climactic questions come in the third and fourth chapter. And that's where I want us to go. I want us, I mean... I want us to preserve our heart is to get to the real issues that God is putting in front of us. Uh, The fish occupies three verses in the whole story. Three verses. Man, I mean, he made the picture. That's a pretty important cameo. Uh, But it's it's not the real question. And so, you know, I would say if if it's a little hard for you to accept this as history... Well, I would, at one level, I would say stay and listen. At another level, I'd say you're eventually going to have to deal with a miraculous God. Because you and I are in need of a greater miracle than the fish swallowing a man. And we have all of this sin in our life. How does that get dealt with? How? We really can't be saying that we're going to work hard and say to the Lord, we've done more good stuff than bad stuff. That doesn't work when he made us to do good stuff. So he gets the credit for the good stuff we do. He made us. So we are in need of a miracle. I think of the story of Christ when he says to the man, the lame man, your sins are forgiven, right? And the teachers of the law are, who can say that? Who can forgive sins but God? And he turns to them and says, you tell me, which is a greater thing to say your sins are forgiven or to say this man, take, get up, take up your mat and walk. This is where we are. You will eventually have to encounter a miraculous God if you ever uh, encounter the size of your sin and your need. So um, if you've got to put the fish on the shelf for now, stay with us and listen. Um, but eventually you'll have to take the cross, and uh, that's a far bigger miracle. Okay, we're in the second chapter. It's a prayer. It's a prayer that Jonah is, is praying from the belly of the fish. And I think uh, most people, uh, most scholars feel this way, as I do, that I don't think this prayer that we're going to read is the verbatim, spontaneous words that Jonah uttered at the moment. I think what they are more likely is after this event, as Jonah's writing the story and he's reflecting something like this, he's reflecting on his experience, this short prayer summarizes the odyssey of prayer and the odyssey of his spiritual encounter with God and the fish. And that's what we're seeing. So we're reading actually what is a psalm. It's a, it's, it's, it's a poetic, psalmic prayer um, of Jonah. And I want to qualify it just a tiny bit. This is not simply a prayer uh, being uttered from affliction. Y- you know how... Uh, 
in some of the Psalms, you get the impression that David is he's being hunted by King Saul or he's in a time of terrible crisis and he calls out to the Lord, you've lifted me up out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock, these times of great difficulty. This is more than, this is a harder kind of prayer than simply from affliction because Jonah's affliction has come to him because of his sin. It's not simply that Jonah lost his job and uh, he lost a family member and he got diagnosed with a disease and his house burnt down. Okay, that's, that's Job. Jonah is no Job. Jonah has visited all of this on himself because of his disobedience. And that's the place from where he's praying. And I think we've been in places like that as well where our poor decisions and rebellion and sinfulness have led us to a place uh, with consequences. The, the prayer is coming from the place of consequence of sin. Uh, we might say it this way, that Jonah is brought to uh, the grave, this period of death, this is really what the prayer is about, is this kind of experience of death in the sea. He's come here because of an immediate and direct result of his sin. There's no mystery about that in Jonah. There's not enough words to confuse it. It's very clear that he's here because of his sin. And I, wanna, I want us to be uh, connected to this idea because the truth is you and I will experience something very similar to Jonah one day. I don't mean we're going to get swallowed by fish uh, or anything like that. But the cause of death and the reason for death are two very different things, okay? Jonah's cause for death is he got tossed into a sea, a tempest, right? Um, or his near-death experience. But that cause the, the re- is different than the reason. The reason he's here is because he sinned. And it's the same with you and me. If, if you could say of someone, uh, the mortician could say the cause of death is cancer. But that's not the reason for death, right? The cause of death is a medical concern. The reason for death is a spiritual concern. The reason for death is sin. Someone could die of a heart attack. The reason for his death is sin. Someone could die in a car accident. Ultimately, the wages of sin is death. So every one of us is going to encounter an experience with death for the same reason as Jonah which is there's disobedience and sin in our life, and because of their sin, there's death. So we're really not that far. We don't get a big fish. We're not, we don't get to go, go out quite as classy as Jonah. But, but still, the reason is the same. Okay. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read the psalm, and then uh, we'll talk about a, a few things that show up. This is uh, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. 
the water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and had vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah is praying from the midst of death. What I mean, in, in the ancient way, they didn't view death like we do. We view death as kind of a binary thing. You're alive or you're dead. You pass through this veil into death, and up to, all up to that point, you're alive. Um, Hebrew scriptures, Hebrew text and thinking can appreciate being in the midst of death, uh, being surrounded by death. This is Jonah. So we might, it's unclear whether Jonah passed away entirely or not, but you might just say he's in the midst of death, just like you would say Christ on the cross was in the midst of death. He's in the throes of death, we might say. Stephen being stoned and martyred, right? His prayer comes to the Lord in the midst of death. As he's dying, he utters a prayer to the Lord. That's, it's a very, it's, it's a very rare category in Scripture to actually read a passage from someone who is dying. And this is one of them. And I want to offer you four things uh, in this prayer that, that I think um, are true about the Lord. Verse 2 has the first one. And it's this, that we cry out and God hears us. We can cry out and the Lord will hear us. That's what Jonah says. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. God hears us when we're dying. And it matters all the more that that's true because here's a man who's dying on account of his disobedience to God. I mean, Jonah is in his situation. He's rightfully perishing, and yet God still hears him. What I'd love to do, and I, I feel invited by the word to do this, is you overlay the Jonah story with the story of Christ. I mean, the life of Christ. I mean, Jesus himself says, but I will give you no sign but the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man. And, and so he, he almost invites this story to be kind of put over his life. But when you do that, the ability for us to call out from the midst of death and for him to hear us stands out all the more because of, of the nature of his son. Just think of, so here it is, Jonah. You could almost imagine a Jonah 3.16, right? For God so loved Nineveh that he sent his only prophet who said no and went to Tarshish, right? I mean, it's so unlike Christ, right? Christ comes to an, not just to a city, but to a planet of rebelliousness, a planet that's dying in sin and that's suffering from sin and death. Jesus comes all the way to the planet faithfully. Jonah unfaithfully does not come Jesus faithfully comes. You might also think of a contrast, you know, of 
on the ship, the whole crew is innocent, and the prophet is guilty. Versus with the visitation of Christ, the whole earth is guilty, and Christ is innocent. He's the only innocent man on the ship. And yet, you know, in Jonah, they throw the one guilty guy over. With Christ, we throw the one innocent man over the board. I mean, there's a sense of Jesus being thrown, is being thrown to the cross. And as he's falling into the sea, he's saying, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. He is, uh, Jonah isn't, I don't want to say an antichrist as though he's evil, but he's kind of like a photonegative in some ways. And yet, Jonah, even though he's dying because of his sin, can say, I cried out to the Lord and he heard me. Do you know how Christ's prayer on the cross sounded? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. I'm saying you and I have the ability to call out, even if it's the affliction and the consequences of our own sin, we have the ability to call out to the Lord and the Lord will hear us because one has come before us who took his sins, our sins upon him. That Jesus has done something. Jesus has been totally forsaken so that those who call out to the Lord might still be heard. This is the blessing of those who follow Christ, that in the loneliest place of the human condition, right, the very grave, we can cry out and he will hear us. And if you add to that, here's the second thing in verses 3 and 4. It's that death does not drive us away from God. Listen to Jonah's words, right? He actually, listen to how keenly he is aware of, of who's doing this to him, right? Verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. The flood surrounded me. He even gives God the possession of the waves and the billows. All your waves and all your billows passed over me. You know knows why he is where he is. He's saying God's doing it. So much so to make Jonah say to himself, I'm driven away from your sight. Right? Jonah sinned. Jonah's done something wrong. And it wasn't a small thing. It was a big thing. Jonah's done a big thing wrong. And the Lord has thrown him into the depths of the sea. And yet, Jonah says at the end of it, he, at the, yeah, the very end of it, he says, and yet, I know I'll see your holy temple again. It really is quite amazing, if you think about it, that you have on the one hand this, a God who is judging Jonah to the point of death, and on the other hand, this experience of hopefulness of Jonah, that this very same God will not destroy him. This is, ooh, I think the church struggles to, to talk to the world about a God like this. You know, we, this gets us back to this problem of evil again. We, we want people to like God, so we want God to be popular. So we tell popular kinds of things about God. God is love. 
God loves you. He has a plan for your life. All, things that are true, but not all of the truth. Like God is holy. God threw Jonah into the sea for disobeying. We don't say that. We, we tamp down and we, we, we file down the notions of God's holiness and his disposition towards sin. We do these things. That's why our modern culture has this problem of evil. Why doesn't God care about evil? You know why they ask that? They ask that because we've pitched them a God who doesn't care about evil. The truth is God cares a whole lot about evil. It's just that God also is full of mercy. So God has this furnace of wrath and judgment against evil in the world that burns white hot. And right next to that is a furnace of mercy that burns white hot. But we make a habit sometimes of downplaying because we don't want God to be unpopular. We don't want people to walk away from the Lord because of wrongdoing or sinfulness that they want to continue to inhabit in their own lives. And so instead of talking about a holy God and about the beauty of his righteousness and about the justice that's in him and about how he does care about evil, we, we tamp that down. And the result, the result is the world is not called to any genuine repentance and the value of Christ is never fully understood. What has Christ really done for us if we've made it sound like nothing is really that bad? The truth of the matter is, Jonah's being completely honest here, right? You, God, have done this to me. Not in like an accusatory way. He's acknowledging. He's acknowledging. You threw me into the sea. You've covered me with water. It's your waves and it's your billows that surround me. So much so as to make me claim like you've driven me from your sight. And yet, I see you. Paul would say it like this in Romans. He would say, where sin abounded, grace does much more abound. He goes on to say, therefore, where sin reigned in death, now life reigns in the grace of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing, to paraphrase him, Jonah's essentially saying, given what he's done to me, you'd think I'd be driven away from his presence entirely. But look, there he is. How is it that the God who cares so much about what I've done wrong will not leave me? That is the power of Jesus Christ. Here's another one. It's just three, four views of of God through this prayer. Look at five and six. Not only can God hear us, not only will he not leave us, right? for those who follow him, for those who look to him, not only does he hear us, not only will he not leave us, but he will save us from death itself. Look, the waters closed in over me to take my life. That's verse five. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. You know what? I'm going to start it over. I'm going to start over at verse 5. I want you to imagine in your mind's eye Jonah, his circumstances, okay? So forget everything you know about Jonah. Just listen to his prayer describing his experience. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. 
I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. What does that sound like? What are you imagining Jonah's body is doing? Because I'll be frank, you know, my kind of VeggieTales, Golden Book, uh, Church Bible insert, my idea is that they hurl Jonah off the side of the boat, right? And either a fish jumps out of the midair and gulps him because they so want you to see the fish, right? Or he like goes in the water and a fish comes by. Is that the picture you get from five and six? I get the feeling that he sank like all the way down to the roots of the mountain. Roots of the mountains. And that's just a deep phrase. I get this appearance that the corpse of Jonah, nearly lifeless, the suffocating corpse of Jonah is settling on the bottom of the sea whose bars closed upon me forever. I went down to the land. I mean, almost among the debris and the logs and the sticks of his sea grave. And interestingly enough, in this case, the fish comes by as his savior. Scoops him off the bottom. Brings him to life. I'm I'm not saying it has to be that way. I'm saying five and six... sounds like it sounds like Jonah visited death I mean I'm, I'm, I'm not belaboring this for no reason I think this is we are we're all coming to death we're going to encounter death death is going to be encountered and so there's a sense again while the cause of death may be different for Jonah. We're really not that far away. There's this idea of Jonah coming all the way, all the way into death. I mean, what's the phrase? Whose bars closed upon me forever. I love how that's wrong, right? He says it and then he unsays it. I come all the way down into the roots of the earth where the bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me, you brought my life up from the pit. Uh, you know, it's, I love God's way of kind of lining through our words like forever. No, that's not forever. I'll show you forever. We come to death, and it's as though the Lord snatches us out of death. He saves us from death itself. You know, there's a there's the old image you've probably seen of a little fish getting gobbled up by a bigger fish, and then behind that fish is a bigger fish going to eat that fish? That's how I see it. I, I see Jonah being gobbled up by death. Right? Even, even he calls it the belly of Sheol, the belly of death. Right? The name of the fish is Sheol. Right? So Jonah gets gobbled up by death, but then I see death about to get swallowed by life. You know, like, like Paul writes, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, oh, death is your sting. There's this, this a sense that by and large, God's intent is not that you and I don't, don't meet death. It's that death has no power over us because he's with us. 
this is, this is, I mean, this is just red meat gospel. This is, this is why we love Jesus. Because we call on him and he hears us. Because even though he ought not to be with us, he will not leave us. And because though we die, we will rise again. Here's the last one, verse 7. He says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. When my life was fainting away, I remembered you, and my prayer came to you. Jonah is in this extreme moment, this terrible, despairing experience where God is, God is destroying him. And in that moment, Jonah, it says, I remembered you. <laughs> this is interesting. What does it mean to remember the Lord? It, so the hand of God is on Jonah to judge him, rightly judge him and destroy him. And then Jonah has a recollection about God that would cause Jonah to pray again and therefore give thanks. You see this? It's, it's the sense of a great God. Jonah has this memory, this recollection of of God's nature to know that even what God is doing to me now does not mean that I can't reach out to him and be saved. It's this confidence in God's nature that God's compassionate and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in forgiveness, that all of those things are so, so much a part of God and that God wants us to know they're such a part of him that no matter what's happening, whether, no matter whether we are under the thumb of the very same God for the sins, we can still in that moment call out to him and expect, I mean, af- after this point is nothing but worship. It's nothing but praise. I remembered you. My prayer came into your holy temple. And then it's, but I will sing with a voice of thanksgiving, pretty much. With a voice of thanksgiving, I'm going to sacrifice. Do you, do you have that? Do you think that God, Christ, do you think Christ is enough a part of your life that you can call to him and he'd hear you? I'm not asking if you re- if you're religious. I don't care if you're religious. I'm not asking if you've been confirmed or baptized, those are not the issues. Do you know the Lord so that you can call out to him? Do you know the Lord that no, even if you're under his judgment, you know he has not left you? I mean, do you realize that what Christ has done, right? Christ died on the cross for our sins. He's paid the penalty of our sins so that we will have eternal life, that the forever of the grave, that ain't forever. Because God is going to pull me up out of the pit. Do we remember God? Do we remember? This makes me think of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. The way that Christ is trying to emphasize to us the importance of remembering. Remember what I've done for you. Remember God's nature. Remember my nature for you. Remember what I really think about you 
so that in your most desperate time, that memory will come and you know you can always call out to me and I will hear you and I will not leave you and I will rescue you from the grave. Is that, is that you? One more, one more thought. Did you notice <clears throat> that this is not a prayer of confession? Let me ask it a different way. Can you, did you notice if there was any hint of confession in this prayer? I'll answer it. There isn't. Nowhere in this prayer do you find, have mercy on me, O God. Nowhere in this prayer do you find, wash me and I will be clean. Cleanse me and I'll be whiter than snow. Like Psalm 51. Nowhere in this prayer do you say, you know, forgive me, Lord. For, cast me not away. You don't find any of that in this prayer. This is a prayer of thanksgiving. It annoys people that there's no confession in this prayer. Scholars, you read scholars and they try to find it. Like, where's Waldo? They're like, well, if you look behind this word, if you look at another way that that word might have been expressed, you might see that Jonah, it's all ridiculous. The, when this book was translated out of the Hebrew into the Greek and the Septuagint, they mistranslated the Hebrew intentionally to inject confession into this. They, on purpose, poorly translated. They said, it, clearly, he's got to be confessing. And they put confession into it, into the Greek. Because we just can't imagine this you know, chucklehead sinner Jonah going down, not confessing. I don't know if it's that, or we can't imagine God saving somebody who hasn't confessed a sin like this. I don't know what it is. I think the truth of the fact is, there is confession in this story. It's just not in the prayer. It's on the deck of the ship. Why is the storm here? I did it. That's what he said. It was genuine enough because they go, well, what do we do? And he goes, well, you tossed me in. I did it. I deserve it. So he confesses his sin. The reason I think it's important is because of where this this prayer is taking place. This prayer is, this, this is what I want to trust and believe. This will be my disposition when I'm in the grave. It won't be, oh, Lord, and I forgot, I should have told you I did that, and I should have done that, and uh, reminds me of the old movie Goonies when they tell the kid, you know, what'd you do wrong? And he tells them his whole life, right? I'm beginning to like this guy, the, the one criminal says, right? I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and that. Like, you and I don't need to live this viral life of continual f- confession so that we get everything covered in case we, we, we hit a car or anything. No. You need to be reminded of God's nature. Do you follow him or don't you? That's the question. Because if you follow him, you can cry out to him, even if his thumb is on you. If you follow him, he won't leave you. If you follow him, he will save you from death. And if you follow him, all you have to do is remember his nature and, and you'll be thrown into thanksgiving. I mean, Jonah is in the midst of death. That's not the time to be... I don't, I don't, know, if, I don't know if I can say that, but... Jonah is in so close to death 
that what's pronounced in his life is the saving, merciful nature of God. That's the God we worship. His next phrase just kind of says it. He's like, I can't believe, don't, why would you go to these vain idols of the world when you have this kind of steadfast love with God? Like, oh, wow. Those who follow Christ are the only people who sing praise songs out of the grave. That's what we do. As we get here and we remember. I want to pray and I, I, want, to, I want to invite you. We're actually going to spend a little time in reflection this morning. Uh, so if you want to bow your heads. And I've actually asked uh, those who help with prayer to come forward. Well, I, I want to be mindful and thoughtful. First of all, are you here this morning? And the question of who's your God is, is all too relevant for you. Have, is Jesus your Lord? Are you in a, a pretty uncomfortable spot that right now, if you were to be thrown into death, you'd have no one to cry out to? Or if you did, it'd be the first time you shouted his name and he wouldn't know you. I just... Who is your Lord? Because this day is coming. I mean, the truth is, his cause of death is different, but his reason for death is common. We will all die because of sin. If you were to call out, would you cry the name Jesus? And if you would, you know, I just want to be sensitive to ask the question this morning. If you're so sure you'd cry his name, is there someone here who'd say, well, I know I'd cry his name in death, but I'm not very close to him now. And I have to wonder, why is that? Why are you not close to the God of steadfast love now? when he's done all of this for you. Lord, we recognize that you alone will rescue us from the dead. You've conquered the grave. Lord, you have done done such a great work that things that we say forever you say no I'll, I'll take you up out of that to a better forever Lord we have but to remember your who you are and what you are and have immediate cause for thanksgiving and praise have immediate cause for hope have immediate cause and faith that we can pray to you that we can come to you Lord I pray this morning that the person in this room that is as far away from God as you can possibly imagine because they feel that they did something wrong and God just doesn't want anything to do with them, Lord. They're saying to themselves, they have been cast away. I pray they would hear the words of Jonah saying, yet I will see his holy temple. Lord, whether it's people who are in Christ 
who just need to be reminded, Lord, or people who right now are sitting on the edge or in the decision of who their Lord and Savior is, I pray you would come and show yourself to them.